and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and today I'm happy to welcome filmmakers Nicholas Brookman and Amanda Roddy here to discuss their film, Not Going Quietly, which premiered at South by Southwest. The film features Audie Barkin as he battles with ALS and fights for healthcare reform across America. I want to say thank you so much to both of you, Nicholas and Amanda, for coming on and talking about your wonderful film, Not Going Quietly. But I wanted to ask you, what attracted you to Adi's story to begin with? Yeah, I can take that one. We met Adi out of the work we do at the production company I founded called People's TV, and we are dedicated to making films for progressive candidates and causes and all types of social justice issues from environmental justice to healthcare justice to racial justice. And we were connected to Liz Jaff um, in that capacity. Adi had just confronted Senator Jeff Flake on the plane and they needed a launch video for the campaign. And I flew out to Santa Barbara, did an interview with him there. And the moment I finished that interview, I kind of popped the question, Adi, I think there's a bigger story here than just a video of you launching this campaign. I think your story and your life really matters. And if you're willing to share it and expose a lot of the powerful elements of it, but also the very tragic and difficult elements of it, I think it can really move a lot of people. And, and you know, he admits to having a very big ego and <laughs> says that's why he agreed right off the bat. But of course, I think he also really understood that in that confrontation with Jeff Flake, he realized when that went viral that his story has a lot of power and and people want to hear his voice, especially as he was losing it. So that was the, the origin of that. I also love that you use that phrase, pop the question, because it is almost like a marriage commitment that you're making to allow documentarians into your home and into your life and into your personal everyday in quite that way. I totally agree with that. And think I always am amazed by how vulnerable you have to be to allow a documentary crew into your home to catch all the moments, good and bad. And I think that takes a lot of courage, too. So I think we're very grateful to them for opening up their lives and stories to us in that way, because it's certainly not an easy thing to do. It's a bit invasive at times. So I'm not sure I could handle all of that, but they, they did gracefully. Were there any particular ways that you were able to make everyone more comfortable with you and with the crew? Yeah, I think we always had a pretty open conversation with them about filming what we could film, what we couldn't film. So in order to make it more comfortable, we definitely had check-in points and always asked Adi if something seemed particularly sensitive, if he wanted to film. And sometimes he would say yes, and sometimes he would say no. And I think over time, we kind of built that trust with him in terms of what we were and weren't willing to film and what he wasn't willing to film as well. And in the actual process of the filming, were there little things you could do to create comfort in the process, Nicholas? Yeah, well, one thing Amanda did was provide a lot of childcare for Carl, oh. obviously, and um, for for any family, childcare is difficult. And I think with, you know, in Adi's condition, and as a father with a disability, there, you know, a lot of that responsibility falls on Rachel, his wife, who you see in the film, as his as his primary caregiver until other caregivers step up later into the, into the story. And so, you know, it's hard to shoot an interview with somebody unless somebody's playing that role. And so, you know, a lot of the times we would we would kind of support Rachel or even take Carl to the park, 
to kind of give the family some some respite. And of course, Carl's a major star of the film himself. So that was an example. I will say, though, that what's interesting about the story is that in terms of the access that you're talking about, Adi was very open about letting us film the the often really difficult realities of ALS and of his disability and of his of his body deteriorating and the things that you would consider to be very sensitive. But what was sometimes more difficult and in a ways equally important was to pull up the hood on the political work that Adi was mm-hmm. doing. And we really didn't want to present a sanitized kind of campaign commercial for his Be a Hero campaign. We really wanted to show how the sausage is made and how a movement gets built. And often that was sensitive because Liz, who's the strategist in the film and the other activists, want to present a very careful image. But to us, being really authentic and exposing how that's put together in the difficult and messy ways activism and organizing work was very sensitive, and but also very important because I think that makes it relatable and makes audiences, I hope, connect to what Adi's doing and say, oh, I can do this too. And I want to say that one of the things that I think your film excels at is the catch-22 of people who are disabled becoming involved in disability advocacy. Because for those of us in the disability community, including myself, it's very, very difficult to get involved and to feel like you have a pathway to get involved when you don't know how you're going to get your meds if you're taken to jail. You don't know how you're going to be able to get water if you need it in any given protest and so forth. And I love that you show a lot of what it takes to do that work. I really admire the film for that. Thank you. One thing I'll just add, and just in speaking to the question of disability, I don't identify as a person with a disability, but I do have a lot of disability rights activism in my family. My my grandfather was born in India, and he was he, he went blind at the age of seven and came to the US and then later returned to India to start an organization called the Lighthouse for the Blind. My um, aunt and uncle were kind of big time San Francisco disability rights advocates. She has cerebral palsy and was part of the ADA movement um, in the 70s. And so I've always been very, very inspired by them. I, I believe that the way our society, you know, incorporates and empowers people with disabilities is a reflection on how and any society does that as a reflection on how well that society is performing and how just it is at its core. My, my last film, La Americana, was about the intersection of disability and immigration issues about a, a young girl who was disabled in Bolivia whose mother had to come to the United States. And so that was something that attracted me to the story, both because of my, my personal connections to it, but also because I think it's really at the core of who we are as Americans. And so I'm you know, grateful to, to hopefully do a small part in standing beside um, folks with disabilities in the movement. I think that's wonderful. And in terms of the way that you shot the film, I wondered how hard was it to find that balance, that tension between showing his humanity and the political side? Yeah, I think that's a a really great question. I think it was something that we really struggled to figure out in the edit as well, because the politics behind what Adi's doing are incredibly important in the policy, Medicare for all. But we wanted to make sure that people were engaged with his personal story and saw it through his own lens because that we felt was the most effective way to communicate the issue to others so that they could really feel it rather than getting bogged down in the politics. And so a lot of times, you know, we would have cuts, I think that focus a little bit more on the nitty gritty politics and people wouldn't be as invested as a result from our feedback screening. So 
we kind of started to dial that down a little bit and dial up his personal story a little bit more. And that's kind of when we figured out the sweet spot of, you know, making sure that this, this story was truly rooted in his personal story and the way that he viewed the system through his personal experience rather than talking about a particular policy or talking about particular tactics that they use to achieve their ends. But to be honest, those videos that you have of like, this is how you confront someone. This is how you question someone on this particular issue. I loved those moments because they were so specific and so important in terms of the fight that everyone in the disabled community is very invested in. This is a very important fight for all of us, I think, but it's also incredibly important that other people see what is actually at stake. One of the, I guess, sub-themes in the film is about the tools and technology available for activists now. And there's a meta-theme for me, which is this idea of Adi sharing his story and then going around the country and helping other people tell their stories and confront through those trainings. And then, of course, the technology of social media and cell phone video, which is essentially what the documentary is. It's a tool for activists, but it shows that people can do this themselves. And then ultimately, you see later when Adi gets his assistive voice technology, how that becomes a tool that he uses to raise his voice and to amplify it. And so I hope that, you know, one of the takeaways for the film is that these tools exist to tell your story and that your story has power if you can share it. And I think that is something that's very important for the disability community whose stories are often marginalized or neglected or don't always have the same platform to share their experience with. On any given day, were you actually going back and collaborating with Audi based on what you were seeing as the film was taking shape? One of the really big challenges in the film was that because Adi was losing his voice as we were making it, in most documentaries, you get this opportunity to kind of go back and re-record or do a pickup interview. And that really wasn't an option here. It, it made a, added a lot of urgency and immediacy to the process. So it was very collaborative in the sense that we shared a lot with Adi and we kind of guided and showed Adi what we thought we needed. But we kind of had to just shoot as it was happening for the most part. There wasn't an opportunity to ever really go back, which forced us to be very disciplined in how, how we made the film. But it was never a feeling of, oh, I'd rather not have that shown or... Or was there kind of a community experience of everything as recorded being important and integral to the experience of the film? It's a really good question. I think that we didn't... We showed him a rough cut pretty late into post-production, and he had a few notes that were just basically ways that he thought that we could kind of sharpen the story, and we definitely took those um, into account and incorporated them. But otherwise, I gotta say, he was pretty easy to work with. I mean, he didn't really have much pushback, and we were really lucky that he gave us a lot of, a lot of uh, leeway and trust to tell his story, and so... The only things he really wanted to contribute actually ended up helping us in terms of making a more compelling story, I think. So I have to ask, are you likely to do more stories related to healthcare reform going forward? Is the political fight an aspect that you are planning to continue to pursue? Yeah, well, definitely through this film, I think we are planning to spend a majority of this year and, and beyond 
contributing what we can as artists and storytellers through this film to that movement. Um, I thought there was a lot of serendipity in that yesterday, Pramila Jayapal and, and others of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party introduced a Medicare for all bill in Congress the same day as our world premiere. And we think that this film and Adi story can be a really powerful tool to get people organized around that issue and to create real change. I think we're closer to achieving that long shot goal, which so many other countries have. And so, yes, telling more stories, but first and foremost, using this film and any organizations, disability rights and, and healthcare justice and all types of progressives, we're going to give this film to them as a gift or as a tool that they can use in organizing around those issues. And we hope there's going to be lots of screenings to that effect. And maybe we can even bring the film to DC and to, to Congress itself would be a would be a dream. That would be fantastic. I'm in the DC area. And I would love to see this playing this area where we desperately need more content of this sort, especially where politicians will see it. Well, I want to thank you both so much for your time. And I want to say, I really hope that this film goes gangbusters at South by Southwest. I don't know if you have any last words that you want to leave our listeners with about the film, the community, the experience of making this, or just general advice, the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> I would just um, encourage folks who are attending the South by Southwest Film Festival to check it out in the program. It's the first opportunity. I've been working on this for three and a half years, and we're really excited about it. And for those that can't catch it now, we are hoping to release it in theaters and on television later this year, as well as other film festivals. And you can follow along on social media or at notgoingquietlyfilm.com. Awesome. Awesome. And I strongly encourage our listeners to go and check it out as soon as they can. I thank you so much for this wonderful interview. Have a great festival. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Ariel. We really appreciate it. And we're more than happy to jump on this awesome podcast. And we're uh, looking forward to subscribing and following all the work that you do as well. Thank you. Thank you. Take good care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. Mm-hmm.